0: and therefore become pleasing to him. Like him, spiritually, like him, theologically, like him, ecclesiastically, that is in terms of what the nature and character of the church is, but different in many, many ways. There is always a threat, to this unity. There's always uh, a threat to unity by destroying the diversity they're held in tension. And so I want you to notice a number of differences then that exist among the disciples. There are a number of them and This will take our time. There are six of them, seven of them, I'm sorry, that um, I found, and perhaps there are more. First of all, there were professional differences. This certainly uh, jumps off the page almost. Um, There were within the disciples themselves what we might call professional differences differences. Peter appeared as a leader, and he appears as a leader early on. In fact, he's listed first here. He emerges as a leader in his confession in Matthew chapter 16, and um, as he speaks for the disciples, not all of them speak for the rest of them, at least in terms of the, the record that we have here. But Peter appears as uh, a leader. And even here, as I've said, he appears, first of all, in verse 14. And then you have James and John. And James and John aspired to prominence. And uh, you remember that in Mark chapter 10, they're the very ones who, who ask of uh, the Lord, that uh, when He comes into His kingdom, if one can sit on the the left and one could sit on the right, and so there there are these differences in which there are some who are more prominent than others, some who are leaders, some who are followers, and yet at the same time all of them belong together as numbered among. The twelve, and so whatever we do, whatever it is that we do in the life of the church, even if we happen to be an officer in the life of the church, and uh, perhaps we we seek to do that extremely well, there is a recognition on the part of the church itself that there are those differences, there are those who lead, and there are those who follow, and that's nothing wrong uh, about that, and Jesus doesn't condemn that at all. It's a part of the church. So there are these. What we might call professional differences, ministerial differences, differences within the church. And that doesn't make Peter any better than anybody else. In fact, we're told more about Peter than a lot of other uh, uh, the apostles, and not all of it is flattering. So be careful what you aspire to, um, if you aspire to some kind of uh, prominence or preeminence. That clearly is a principle principle. Difference, which has to do with differences in principle spelled differently. Secondly, there were personality differences. Again, disciples are not all clones of one another. We're, we're different. We're different in our personalities, in our approaches, um, in some of the ways we, we, we just approach things. For example, Peter was impulsive. Um, jesus predicts a falling away he predicts and peter responds impulsively even if everybody leaves you i won't well he's one of the first uh to do so but he so he's impulsive he says what's on his mind and we've all known people like that maybe some of us are a part of this assembly uh this afternoon he was impulsive and he blurts out and that was a positive thing also uh, in in, in uh, Matthew chapter sixteen, where would a men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks, and the grammar would suggest that he speaks for the twelve. You're the Christ, and so forth, and so that's not necessarily a bad thing to be impulsive, though it certainly ought to be guarded <laughs> um, at times. James and John were argumentative. And uh, there was an occasion in which the disciples or the apostles were in a context of, of unbelief, and they say to the Lord, to Jesus, bring down fire out of heaven and get rid of all of them. So, so there's this sort of argumentative uh, spirit um, about them. Uh, uh, Peter was impulsive. Uh, James and John were argumentative, quick-tempered, demanding Jesus do this. Thomas was introspective. In John chapter eleven, again in chapter fourteen, and chapter chapter twenty, you know Th- Thomas seems to be one who who was introspective and who who fought. And even in John chapter twenty, when when he says, "Unless I put my," my hands uh, in, in, the, in the prints of his body, I won't believe. And when Jesus manifests himself, he's the one who falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God. So there, there's a certain uh, introspective, a certain softness um, about him, even when he is um, in this context of, uh, of, of, or even with he, even when he, at the outset is seemingly marked by some unbelief, and then Andrew was what we might call attractive. What I mean by that is he was had a, a winsome personality. Uh, he's the one who seeks for his brother, and there, there, there's something about him uh, that makes him. A little bit different, or at least noted uh for being somewhat sensitive um as an individual looking to um, advance the ministry of the Lord Jesus, so there were professional differences that is within the disciples, there were those who did different things, there were personality differences um Impulsiveness, argumentativeness, introspective, and uh, something of a sensitive nature. Thirdly, there were political differences. I suppose this speaks to um, our age right now or our time right now when um, our nation seems to be uh, so divided. There were those, or at least one, who was confrontational in his. Uh, political um, perspective. Simon the Zealot, and that's what it means. He was a, a zealot. He belonged to a a, political, a particular political party in the sense that the zealots hated Rome. and hated it with a passion. And they sought its overthrow, even by force, if necessary, in order that they might bring in the kingdom of God. At least that was, what, that was their stated And we find references to him, Simon the Zealot, who would have been a typical zealot in the day. There are those who were concessive and cooperated with the government in power. They were marked by compromise in that context. And Matthew was one of them. He was a tax collector, which meant that he was in the employ of Rome. And, of course, zealots would not have been pleased with Matthew, and Matthew would not have been pleased with them. And so we so see a man like Matthew collecting taxes on behalf of Rome and certainly pocketing his own fee. Secondly, there were performance differences, and I've hinted at this or mentioned something of this, I suppose, but um, there was a chief apostle. If any was a chief apostle, it would have been Peter, who spoke, spoke more to Jesus and Jesus to him, and we're not now talking about what necessarily people did, but what their place was among the disciples or apostles. So there was a chief apostle, a foundation of the foundation, if you will. And then there was a core uh, group of disciples, Peter, James, and John, referred to as as an inner circle of disciples. In fact, Peter, James, and John were selected um, uh, at times to be with uh, Jesus uh, in very critical moments and critical times. And then there was one disciple who seemed to be more favored, or at least that's how he's presented. John is referred to as the one whom Jesus loved. Now imagine if you were one of the 12, when you feel a bit short-chained, what does that mean? He doesn't love me. I don't think it means that at all. But there was, there was, there was a unique bond somehow, hard to describe, perhaps. Uh, but love was a particular, um, a particular quality for which John was noted. Um, you've probably heard the, perhaps it's apocryphal, I don't think so, but it might be Account of the Apostle John as an old man outliving all of the other apostles, and he's being carried into the church on a litter, can't walk anymore, and all the energy he had was enough to raise his hand, and he said, my little children, love one another. Well, he's the apostle of love. He's known as the apostle of love, and it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the rest or that he didn't have a place for all of the rest, or somehow he played favorites that the rest of them would feel left out. But there were these differences among the apostles, both what we could say uh, professionally, uh, and also just in terms of who they were and how they related to the Lord Jesus. And then there were public differences. This one is a little difficult because we really don't know. We don't have answers to some of the questions or some of the questions we might raise, but there were semi social or racial differences along that. Now they were all Jews to one degree or another, but there were different categories there were different uh, there were there were different i guess we could say categories or social categories of jews there were those who were uh, noted for their Jewishness, Pharisees, for example, and uh, who would have uh, been uh, noted as well for their commitment to uh, the law of God. There were also Greek speaking Jews that had been influenced by um, Greek culture, uh, Greek social life, and actually spoke Greek. Philip, for example, uh, is uh, in that category, and we don't know how to pursue that any further. Did did he have uh, a, a mother or father who was Greek, or was he merely Greek speaking? In fact, even today, one can be Jewish, thoroughly Jewish, and have just your mother uh, as a Jewess. So we really don't know that. Except it means a lover of horses. That's what the name means. And in one place, in um. Uh, John chapter 12, uh, there were those they're referred to as Greeks who came looking, uh, who came to Peter, excuse me, came to Philip because they wanted to see Jesus. So clearly there would have been differences in terms of how they would have understood their faith and uh, processed all of that and, and lived it out. Sixthly, there were fiscal differences, socio-economic differences. They weren't all cut out of the same cloth. There were those who probably were affluent. I think it's safe to say that Matthew was affluent, um, fleecing the Roman government um, out of tax money to line his own pocket. There were others who were just average, middle class, given the day, or perhaps even poor uh, on, the, on the spectrum. Peter, James, John, Andrew owned boats and were fishermen, but Peter owned his own house. So uh, there were these socioeconomic differences, and undoubtedly we might guess that some of them were just very, very... So there were these fiscal or pecuniary differences among them. And then there were policy differences, theological differences, especially with Jesus. And as you read the Gospels and, and, and you read how they interacted with him and the questions that they raised, There were these differences. There were things that they just did not understand and for the most part wanted to see the kingdom of God come or established on earth. So even where they may have agreed with themselves, they disagreed with their teacher and needed to be taught. I missed one thing earlier. And that is when we were talking about performance differences. There was a chief apostle. There was this core faction. There was this one who was favored, the one whom Jesus loved. We also need to remember that there was also a traitor among them, uh, Judas Iscariot. And sadly, that happens. And sadly, there are those who come into the church professing to be something and yet turn out to be a traitor. Peter may have betrayed the Lord, but he came back. Judas was not in that same company. And so there are all of these differences, and yet they are what? They're chosen by the 12, by Jesus, to be the foundation of the church. And the church will ultimately then, in one sense or another, become like them, Paraita. So if there are all of these differences, where is their unity? If there are all of these things that mark out the disciples of Jesus Christ as being different and we can see the same things true today, the various differences that that are mentioned here. Where then is unity? Well, I'm sure you're way ahead of me, but our unity is in Christ. It's not in what we look like, what job we perform, or or even whether an officer or a regular member of the church. The unity we have, that we have, is a unity in Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, that great prayer that Jesus prayed. We may have different habits, different dispositions, different economic standing, different skill sets, different abilities, even to remember and retain the things that are taught from the pulpit. But there is a unity, and it's not a unity, it's not a uniformity. It's not that we're all walking in lockstep with our personal preferences and habits and usefulness. Ultimately, what brought them together, despite all of these differences, was their devotion to Jesus Christ and his devotion to them. And that's where we need to look for and find our identity rather than seeking to make clones of everyone in the church so that they look just like me. We don't want that. Well, First of all, you don't want them everybody looking like me. But the point is... It's not about being clones one of another. It's about devotion to Jesus Christ. So unity is rooted in Christ. Secondly, unity is rooted in Christian affection. Again, remember what it is said of the Apostle John, my little children love one another. And in fact, Jesus called his disciples to love and to serving one another, even in the upper room as he washed the feet of his disciples and said, a new commandment I give unto you, a commandment that is new in the sense that it's rooted in Christ. It's not new to love one another, but what's new is the rootedness of all of that in Jesus Christ. And so again, we may have different habits, different dispositions, But there ought to be a love one toward another, even to the extent, as we saw this morning, of going out of our way to serve one another when necessary. And so unity is rooted in Christ. Unity is rooted in Christian affection. And unity, thirdly and finally, is rooted in compliance. By that I mean maturity. The twelve are chosen here, and how immature, how ignorant they are. But by the time of his resurrection, is all the difference in the world. They had grown, grown in the things of God, grown in the things of Christ, grown in Christian things. The end is different from the beginning. The end of life is different than the beginning of life physically and for little children that are born into the world. An infant is not the same as what he becomes or she becomes at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and and so on. Humility, perseverance, faithfulness, are things that become us as we grow in maturity. The other things that mark us out as being different are not primary at all. In fact, they're not even significant. It is our relationship to Jesus Christ and therefore our relationship one to another which has changed or which changes us and which alters those relationships. So diversity is not a strike against unity, because it's not a diversity that is rooted in anything in nature or that is natural, but in our relationship to Jesus Christ. So all of the things that we mentioned, apart from Judas being the traitor, all of the other things that we mentioned don't matter at all and really ought not to enter into our relationship to one another as our relationship to Jesus Christ grows and flourishes. And may that be the case. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we, we do come before you and thankful for this text, even as we thank you from time to time for the various texts that we study we do pray that we may have learned something or at least relearned something or at least remember from the text what our calling truly is. May the center of our faith, for life, and of our church be Christ. And because he is at the center, there is an affection not only for him, but for one another as we seek to serve you and serve one another as we grow in the things of Christ. May this be true of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.